We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Your home is important. That's why GEICO helps make it easy to save on condo insurance. Because home is more than just a place. Home is where you took minimalism too far because there's only one chair in your entire condo and your only entertainment is one card. Not even a deck of cards, but a single card. And all your guests have to share one plate and one fork, but you're convinced that less stuff means more freedom. The GEICO Insurance Agency could help protect the overly minimalist broom closet you call home. Call GEICO and see how easy it is to switch and save on condo insurance. This is the High Stakes Lowdown, a Rotoviz podcast brought to you by the Fantasy Football Players Championship. I'm Eric Balkman from the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour and the FFPC. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Balkman and the FFPC on Twitter at FFPC. Today I'm speaking with John Shaw, a winner of nearly $15,000 over the last few years in the FFPC. In this episode, we discuss who the more cuttable player is between Randall Cobb and Willie Sneed, what running back was dropped too soon in FFPC leagues, and how he nearly didn't even draft his main event team that currently sits in the top 100 overall. You can follow John on Twitter at jshawwde. Also to kick things off in this podcast, we'll hear from 2016 FFPC main event co-champion Nelson Sousa, the winner of the $250,000 grand prize in the contest along with his co-manager David Hubbard. Sousa talks about the new reality of players like Terrell Pryor, Jameson Crowder, and Ty Montgomery, and whether he'll be rostering them going forward. You can follow Nelson on Twitter at the underscore franchise 12. Before we get into the show, I want to remind everyone that you can get a listeners-only 30% discount to a Rotoviz NFL pass through the NFL podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of the Rotoviz content and tools, and it helps support the podcast channel. 
Now, without further ado, let's check in with the champ, Nelson Sousa. Nelson, we uh, we're coming up on week eight now in the uh, in the season. It is. Uh, Getting to be crunch time for the FFPC main event and Football Guys Players Championship regular seasons as we only have uh, four weeks left before uh, we enter the league playoffs. So every decision is uh, is important, and um, sometimes you got to make tough decisions. And something that um, some players might be facing right now is what to do with Terrell Pryor and Jamison Crowder. There are six teams on by both this week and next week, uh, so roster space will be at a premium would you be, I mean, would you be okay if, and I don't know how many teams you own Pryor or Crowder on, but are you guys looking at potentially just cutting these guys outright to make sure that you have solid lineups for the next two weeks? Yeah, as far as uh, owning those guys, we, we own a decent amount of Crowder. Uh, actually own zero Pryor um, on our teams. Those guys are kind of like, you know, you're going to drop them for who? You know, is there really a receiver out there that you're going to have full confidence in playing off the waiver wire versus a guy like Crowder, you know, or Pryor? Pryor, for sure, you can't, is not playable uh, after, you know, playing one or two, you know, a few snaps uh, last night. But Crowder's playing full snaps. He looks good out there. Uh, the, you know, the production's just not funneling through him right now. Uh, he reminds me of like Devonte Adams from a year ago where, you know, Adams was doing nothing all year. And then, you know, people kind of got frustrated with that situation. I think he was even questionable going into a Thursday night game and he, uh, put up like a monster game. Like it was his coming out party. And then the following week he, he cost like, you know, it was like 500 plus, uh, in, in leagues because, uh, people had dropped them. You know, Crowder could be the same thing, you know, where you're dropping the guy, but the guy that you're picking up is probably no better uh, than Crowder. So I'd probably just go ahead and and uh, play him if that's who, you know, you're faced with. Carson Palmer is uh, probably the biggest injury, I would say, uh, from, from this past weekend, or at least the most significant, as Bruce Arian says he's expected to miss eight weeks now, uh, putting him basically – out of commission for the rest of the fantasy season. Uh, how does the offense change now with Drew Stanton back in there? Is Adrian Peterson just, I mean, are they just going to give him the keys to the offense, getting 20, 25 touches a game? Uh, or is there a specific Cardinals receiver? You know, John Brown, Jerron Brown, uh, Fitzgerald, you know, anybody that, that stands to may, maybe see a significant bump under Stanton uh, with their fantasy production uh, with, with the new quarterback. What's your thoughts uh, there in Arizona going forward now? In my opinion, I, I think Peterson's toast. Um, the game that you saw last week uh, from him, or two weeks ago, uh, his first game with Arizona, that was more off of like adrenaline, wanted to, you know, it was him against the world, wanted to prove everyone wrong, Um you know, it, it was pretty obvious, like, he was, no matter what, he was going to have a good game. Uh, but, you know, that all came crashing down uh, last week. And I think that's going to be the rest of the season. I just don't think Peterson has it anymore. The offensive line is not all that great. So, with you know, with Stan, especially with Stanton, you know, at quarterback, I, I think teams are going to, you know, stack the box a little bit more. So, I, I 
you know, with Bruce Arians, he's still not gonna, he's not going to be scared, you know, to kind of dial it down with Stanton. So I still think they're going to be a pass-heavy team. Um, I think Ellington benefits from it. Uh, as far as, you know, what guy is going to benefit, you know, as far as a receiver, it, you know, we'll have to see. Um, it's a downgrade from Palmer, but, um, you know, I, I would want to own John Brown and, you know, Fitzgerald still uh, in that offense, but I definitely don't think, you know, Peterson's the guy that you're going to be able to count on each week. We'll have to see what happens with uh, Andre Ellington, too, because he was actually dropped in a lot of leagues last week uh, in the FFPC, so I bet he is actually picked back up in those leagues. I know you guys were on him. I grabbed him in a bunch of leagues, too. I did not give up on him. We'll see what happens now with uh, with Drew Stanton. Uh, another team that lost a quarterback this season uh, was the Green Bay Packers losing Aaron Rodgers, and now we saw what Brett Hundley could do with a week's preparation with uh, – you know, a, a full game plan um, under his belt, uh, what what Mike McCarthy deployed for that Packers offense. Uh, and it wasn't pretty. He gets the, you know, the 40 yards rushing and the, and the rushing touchdown, which which helps you for fantasy. But, you know, it still, you know, failed to crack uh, 100 passing yards uh, a week after he played uh, part of a game and, and went well over 100 passing yards. So you look at what 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 the new normal is in Green Bay. Uh, Aaron Jones absolutely crushed it against the Saints, 130-plus rushing yards, four catches. Uh, is he locked into lineups with Ty Montgomery locked out and, and on your bench? And what do you do with guys like Jordy Nelson, guys like Devontae Adams, who with the numbers they put up, they weren't even close to start-worthy against uh, uh, the Saints defense in Green Bay. Uh, your thoughts now going forward on those players uh, for the Packers? Uh, just in a quick snapshot, you know, as far as that offense, if I'm a Aaron Jones owner, um, I'm ecstatic because he looks like the best running back uh, there in Green Bay. If I'm a Jordy and Adams owner, I'm sick to my stomach because it doesn't look like uh, they're going to be capable of having big games because Hunley uh, didn't look good out there. But they're, they're going into a bye week, um, so that kind of gives the kid a, another – another week to kind of get practice reps and, and hopefully, uh, you know, he, he's talented. So, you know, maybe they, they figure out uh, the, the offense and kind of slow things down for the kid. And, um, and hopefully he can kind of like, you know, plow through it and, and get it, get better for at least for Jordy and Adam's sake. Um, but right now, yeah, I, I'd be pretty, uh, I'd be pretty disappointed if I had those receivers, and but I would be pretty excited about Jones because it looks like he's going to be the guy that they're going to move forward with. Just to, to touch on Aaron Jones again, the Packers' offensive line was missing their starting left guard. Other than that, the other four guys were in there, uh, again, for the second consecutive week. And I'm mostly talking about the David Bakhtiari and Brian Balaga, the tackles, um, which really helped out. Aaron Jones. Are, is this the type of production that we can see going forward? I mean, is he going to be a threat for a hundred yard game uh, rushing week in and week out? I, I think if, if the offensive line is healthy, because that, that was a big part of uh, the issue throughout the season. Um, you know, they were missing the, the tackles uh, for quite some time. I think at one point it was like the whole offensive line, except one guy right. uh, w w was out. So, if they're healthy I and they give Jones the touches, I think this is the production that you, you can expect. I, I think Jones is that talented. He's good in the passing game. So they, they could uh, 
you know, essentially get him more involved there. Uh, he's got great hands. I, you know, I think he, he could be a difference maker in the second half. Final question for you this week, Nelson. Uh, this We're obviously recording this before the waiver wire locks, but nobody is going to hear this until Thursday morning when the waiver wire has run for the FFPC and the Football Guys Players Championship. Uh, David and you uh, and, and Austin Martin, your other uh, co-owner uh, in, in your conglomerate this year, your uh, player that you're going to be targeting the most on the waiver wire this week in leagues. Uh, we already started uh, cleaning them up uh, a little bit uh, last week. But the, the, there's two guys. It's, it's basically uh, D.D. Westbrook and uh, Corey Coleman are, are going to be the two guys that we're looking to, uh, to grab everywhere, uh, wherever they're available. I, I think those are the kind of guys that are receivers that could make an impact in the second half of the year. Um, so th- those are our targets. You don't see too many receivers coming off the waiver wire that can make a, a big uh you know, impact on your uh, your starting lineups the rest of the season. Those are two guys that I think a lot of people forgot about given the early season injuries, and both are going to have the opportunities. Obviously, nobody in Cleveland is really stepping up, um, you know, to, to be the, the alpha receiver in that passing game. And then D.D. Westbrook's going to have the opportunity uh, with Hearns and, and Lee kind of, you know, being inconsistent. Nobody has uh, taken the spot of, uh, of Allen Robinson. And Westbrook looked great in the preseason, so I think two guys to keep in mind, especially if you have – Thoughts of a postseason run, which I know you guys do, Nelson. So thank you so much for uh, speaking with me again this week. We'll talk to you again soon, and good luck in Week 8. All right, thanks. Thanks to Nelson Sousa for his input this week. Now here's $15,000 high-stakes winner John Shaw. John, thank you uh, so much for, for joining the lowdown this week on, uh, on Rotoviz. When you are not uh, playing high-stakes fantasy football, tell the listeners what you are doing for a living. Thanks, Eric. I work for a transportation and logistics company. Um, the company I work for specializes in oil and gas, and I, I manage the East Region for one of our divisions. The East Region? So is that like the East Region of the world or the East Region of the country or the East Region of your location? It's basically the East Region of the United States, wow. um, but it's it pretty much consists of the Southeast. I, uh, I will, I, okay, so that's, that's very good to, uh, to, to get, bring the listeners into, uh, to your world a little bit. And obviously your work leaves you a little bit of time to play high stakes fantasy football. Yeah, yes, sir. And, um, I, I'll tell you, I've been playing for a number of years and, um, if it didn't, um, you know, give me the time, then, uh, of course I would make the time. Ah, excellent. Well, that's, you've been making the time this year with a successful team. I want to. First of all, before we get into how good this main event team uh, is doing for you, being in the top 100 overall, you have an interesting story um, on this team, how you almost didn't even draft it. So I want I want to talk about how, how getting this team came about. And then secondly, uh, explain to the listeners a little bit about how this draft just seemed to fall into place for you, uh, given how you wanted it to go. Okay, okay. Well, I, I'll tell you, you know, every year – you know, I travel into Vegas for the live event on Wednesday, and I pretty much make a long weekend out of it, meet a bunch of buddies, and we come out Monday. So um, this particular year, I was actually uh, flying into Vegas. It was late afternoon on Wednesday, and I, rem- and I was, you know, 30,000 feet up in the air, and I was cleaning up some email, doing some work and so forth, and I saw your email come through. And I guess there was a, a player that had fallen out last minute due to the hurricanes down in Florida. 
So um, I was kind of texting back and forth with Chris, you know, and then, of course, you know, we had some some conversation. So that was actually the last league, the last team that I enter, entered in, in this year's event. And I drafted it Saturday morning. Saturday morning. You drafted it live, obviously, right? Live in Vegas? Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. Oh, okay. So you drafted it and your expectation. First of all, I don't even know what I should know this offhand, but I don't. I don't know what, what draft slot you had in that league. Uh, but take us through uh, as much as you remember why this draft seemed to to like everything was falling falling your way in, in this draft. Yeah, well, well, I'll tell you, you know, to start with, you know, I travel in on Wednesday because I always do off the grid on Thursday afternoon, you know, and then I typically have a couple main event teams on Friday evening and then Saturday. So, um, you know, going into this year, I kind of had my Saturday open based off of my, my the drafts that I had set up. So I kind of felt like I was kind of lost, you know, to be honest with you, as, as I took <laughs> off to Vegas. So, um, you know, as, as the draft, you know, so it was kind of a blessing when, you know, the position opened up. I was able to jump in. This draft position was very similar to several other draft positions I had where I was picking in the middle rounds. And um, for some reason, I liked the middle rounds this year. So, um I actually drafted from the eighth position on Friday evening, and this position happened to be from the eighth position on Saturday morning. Nice. So, so when I go in, when I go into the, uh, into Vegas, you know, when I'm playing, I kind of like to change my teams up. So um, I knew based off of what we did Friday evening, you know, exactly what my strategy was Saturday, and that was to target running backs. You know, so. Um, with that being said, you know, my first three picks, the running backs fell, fell to me just like I wanted them. You know, uh, fourth round, I was going to, you know, go a different direction. But at the end of the day, there was another starting running back out there. So, you know, I figured, you know, what the hell, I'll just, I'll just line up a wishbone and, and hope for the best, you know. <laughs> <clears throat> you know, and then the fifth round, I was targeting a tight end that was available. And then I just started, you know, you know loading up on wide receivers. So um, that's kind of how that fell into place and, and really, you know, the, the position that I'm in today with that league. Yeah, the position you're in right now is is six and one. I believe you are 82nd overall in the uh, entire main event. And one of the reasons that, that you have been so su- successful has been one of those early uh, running back picks uh, in Carlos Hyde. Now, I'm curious the Kyle Shanahan still looking for his first win as an NFL head coach, uh, San Francisco still looking uh, to get that goose egg out of the win column. How concerned are you that as these losses pile up and, and San Francisco continues to look towards 2018 and beyond that they might start taking some of those touches away from Carlos Hyde and giving them to Matt Breida down the stretch. Uh, I'll tell you, Eric, I had, um, I had a share of Carlos Hyde last year. And actually, prior to his injury, he did okay for me. <clears throat> so going into this year, you know, I, I really wasn't on him initially. But as we got closer to, to the main event, you know, in the live drafts, he kind of started jumping up my board. And I, I thought that he might be a good target middle third round. Uh, I've actually got him on, uh, I think, half of the teams that I've got in the, in the, um, in the FFPC today. So... Um, I'm not really concerned about his um, about him being pulled, you know, um, in favor of Matt Breida. What I'm more concerned about is his production. You know, the first couple of weeks there was all this talk about, you know, his yards after contact. He was on pace to set records and so forth. But it's like when all that talk came out, you know, that was the jinx, you know. And since then he hasn't been running the ball well. So, 
you know, he has been um, catching the ball, which which works well in the PPR leagues. He's getting he's getting the touchdowns, which of course helps, but he's not getting any yards on the ground. Uh, in addition to that, of course, he's he seems like he's been injured every year. So um, I'm, I'm concerned about his injury history as well. Yeah, something that uh, to keep in mind for all Hyde owners that uh, they uh, you've been you've been successful so far, myself included as a Hyde owner. Uh, but I am I am uh, I am concerned. It's just one of those things you can't do too much about. Just keep rolling them out there and, and hoping them for the best, hoping for the best. Uh, in the same league, John uh, Randall <clears throat> Cobb and, and Willie Snead are, are two of your receivers here. Now these guys are not every week slam dunk receiver starts for you. They're you know they're depth. But I'm curious, six teams on by this week, six teams on by the following week. We, we still have several more bye weeks to go. If you were facing a situation where you have to look at cutting Randall Cobb, who now has Brett Hundley throwing to him in a much more dialed down uh, offense than what we saw with Aaron Rodgers, uh, or you have to cut Willie Sneed, um, you know, given that Ted Ginn has, has sort of remained ahead of him on the depth chart, we don't know if Sneed's if he's fully recovered from this hamstring injury, we don't know what his role is going to be when he's fully recovered. If you had to cut one of them, who are you keeping? Who are you getting rid of? Uh, Eric, that's, that's a tough question there because, um, you know, based off of my strategy going into, in, into the draft, you know, and of course, you know, going three, four running back, <clears throat> four running backs in a tight end, I was kind of targeting both of these players for different reasons. You know, um, I had a share of Cobb a couple years ago when he went for a thousand plus yards and double digit touchdowns. I know he's been injured the last couple years, but um, I was really high on him based off of, you know, where he was falling in the drafts. So, um, you know, he, he started out OK. I mean, the injury to, to Rogers is just I mean, I mean, that was just I mean, it, not only did it hurt Cobb, but it, it hurt, you know, everybody on the offense there. You know, so I've got some concerns with him going forward. Uh, Willie Sneed, um, I'll tell you, I was I was high on him going into this year, even outside of the suspension. So um, I kind of targeted those two. With that being said, uh, I'm I would probably I would probably if I had to pick today, I would probably drop Sneed over Cobb, just because Sneed we're seven weeks into it and Sneed hasn't done anything, right? You know, so. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of hoping for the best for both. But if I had to pick one of the two, it, w- it would be Snead. Yeah, Snead, obviously, uh, he's the one that's not healthy right now. We know Cobb is healthy. And uh, we'll see what happens at that Packers offense. You know, I, I got to believe that Brett Hundley uh, only gets better from here on out. Uh, let's Sticking with the Saints uh, conversation, uh, certain team owners, and, you know, I don't think everybody did this, but I think there's a good number of people in the FFPC this year that drafted Mark Ingram in you know fourth fifth sixth round area and then later on in maybe a double digit round took alvin Kamara as well as as sort of a quasi handcuff just ignoring adrian peterson uh while that may have been the smart play then because or, or now because peterson is no longer there is it also a smart play to be starting ingram and kamara or kamara in the same weeks in, in a good matchup because you know, obviously you're capping your upside a little bit with two running backs on the same team, but these guys have been producing week in and week out. They, they, they have, and, and I'll tell you, me personally, I wouldn't have a problem playing both of them. Um, I've watched uh, some of the New Orleans games uh, the past two weeks since AP was traded to Arizona, and um, Mark Ingram is, is definitely the, uh, the one, you know, the, the first and second down back. They bring Kamara in on third down. They're mixing Kamara in. You know, um, you know, some on first and second. He's he's going to get five to, to six catches a game, 
and um, you know he, he's got that breakaway speed. So I, I think both of them lined up in the same backfield. They both have an opportunity to score, and they both have an opportunity to put up some pretty big points. So I, I wouldn't have a problem with that at all. I was actually at the Packers Saints game this past Sunday, and you know noticing the the formations and and the the personnel that was on the field. It seemed like Ingram and Kamara. You know more often than not, I was kind of identifying. You know, I'd see Ingram first, and then I'd see Kamara, and then all of a sudden I'd see, oh, there's Kamara split out wide with Ingram in the back. You know what I mean? Like, they were on the field quite a bit, too. So it's not like the the if one's in, the other one's out. It's not like a snap, um, you know, a disparity between the two. They're both still getting in there. Um, so I'm with you. In fact, there is one league I'm in where I have Ingram and Kamara, and because of the buys, I'm actually playing both of them this week, and I don't feel really uh, that terrible about it. I, I do feel terrible. Uh, or I would feel terrible had I sunk an early round pick in Terrell Pryor because he has definitely been underachieving this year. And this past Monday kind of hit a new low. Uh, Josh Doxson started ahead of Pryor. There was, um, I mean, basically Pryor did nothing in the first half. And even when Washington was driving, uh, they get in the red zone in the second half. Pryor wasn't even in there and Doxson was. So as we look forward, take, take away the Pryor aspect of this, because I think that, you know, you're more likely to cut him than start him at this point. Um, but the Josh Doxson aspect, Jay Gruden says after the game, we drafted Doxson to be our number one. So going forward, catching passes from Kirk Cousins and a pretty elite offense, is Doxson a sneaky flex play in the FFPC main event? Yeah, based off of the last two weeks, there, there's a lot of talk about Josh Doxson. You know, um, I, I know there's a lot of spin about him being available on the waiver wires and whatnot. Uh, going into the into the offseason, uh, after Terrell Pryor, of course, signed with Washington, I was pretty high on Pryor. You know, um, there were mocks, you know, as, as you're going into the beginning of the year where I was, you know, targeting him like late third, early fourth. So as we got closer to the draft, for whatever reason, I, I just kind of, he fell out of favor. So I, I don't have any shares of Terrell Pryor. Uh, Josh Doxson, um, I'll tell you, I'm not real crazy about any of the wide receivers in Washington, to be honest with you. I mean, it seems like cuts... I'm sorry, Cousins is uh, checking down to, if he's not checking down to Thompson, then he's all about the, the tight ends. You know, I think, uh, what well, this past weekend, both Vernon Davis and um, and Reed had both, they, they both had pretty good nights as well as, as, as Chris Thompson. Yeah, you look at that uh, Washington offense, as much as we want to think that, oh, you know, the, the playmaking uh, ability of Jamison Crowder and, and the field-stretching ability of Josh Doxson, this is, this is the marriage made in heaven when, and the fact that you look at the production, it's been with Jordan Reed, Vernon Davis, and Chris Thompson. I mean, those are the three guys that you really should be uh, targeting in that Washington offense. So I'm definitely with you uh, on that. Another offense that has really come alive after a quarterback change early in the season is the Houston Texans. And Deshaun Watson really doing some amazing things down there right now. I don't know if they can keep up what they're doing right now, where they're seemingly scoring 30 points a game in their sleep. Who do you think? is in for the biggest regression off this squad the rest of the way. Is it Hopkins? Is it Fuller? Is it uh, Lamar Miller? Is it Deshaun Watson? Or, I mean, has has Watson really made Houston one of the NFL's elite offenses? Yeah, I, I'll tell you, I just relocated from Houston. You know, so I was in Houston for five years. I had season tickets for three years. Uh, although I'm not a, a big Houston Texans fan, I do support the home team. So, with that being said, I think I've seen every quarterback that they've started the last five years. 
Um, I, I, I like Watson. The, the last three weeks, uh, he's just he's had some some crazy success. I don't think he can sustain that. I've actually got him on a couple teams. Uh, after week one or two, I threw down a couple dollars, and I was able to get him uh, relatively cheap. I am starting him in one league this week weekend. Another league, I'm going to bench him. So I expect his um, I expect his numbers to drop. Of course, you know they're coming off the bye. They're going on the road in Seattle. I, I think probably the the biggest benefit though is DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, he's getting double digit targets every week. Uh, eventually, you know those double di- digit targets are going to turn into double digit catches, and um, he is getting his uh, he is getting in the end zone. So right now, I think um, I think. De- DeAndre Hopkins is the biggest benefit right there. And, and you know, I picked up Will Fuller in a ton of leagues before, you know, he was back from that uh, collarbone injury. And I, you know, not really expecting anything. I've been really surprised. It, he's basically been living in the end zone. You know, every single week it seems like he's scoring one, sometimes two. I don't – I, I want to say I, he can't keep that up, but he keeps scoring touchdowns, John. I, I agree, Eric. And I'll tell you, it's funny that you bring that up because – I don't have Will Fuller on any team. So um, I knew that he was out for the for the first several weeks. I was kind of targeting him as a sleeper. Uh, he wasn't available. But I was talking to a couple of my buddies that, um, of course, they play in the FFPC. And we were going through the waivers one evening. And he was available in a couple of their leagues. And I suggested, you know, take a flyer on this guy. You know, he's got speed. You know, he's going to drop some balls. But he's got the, the opportunity to get in the end zone. And, uh, and he's paid off, so, you know, he, he, he's done well. It's, it's, it's really whether or not he can sustain what he's been doing as well. It's really been a perfect situation, it, you know, just me personally. It, it seems like I'm either missing a receiver due to buy or injury every week, and Fuller is always that next guy in. And, you know, I've been playing him, and he's been scoring, so it's been great. I, and obviously with six teams on buy this week, he's going to be more uh, in my lineups more often than not. And I'm a little nervous about, you know, the, the Seattle game, but we'll see what happens there. Deshaun Watson has obviously been crushing it. You mentioned the off-the-grid league earlier, and this is an interesting format. This is uh, a league that, you know, we have a live, this is a live league going on at, at Planet Hollywood where all 12 teams bid real money on their first two draft picks. You can literally buy whatever spot you want in the first round, and then you buy whatever spot you you want in the second round. Uh, and then, you know, the, the, the third round on is is how your first round pick went. I want to know how the process went for you for buying those first two picks this year and what your strategy was for buying those picks heading into the draft. Uh, I'll tell you, this year with the with the off the grid, I mean, it, it was kind of crazy. I mean, every year's different, but um, I think this year more so than any, just because the, the, the two targets were, of course, you know, David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell. So going into, the, into off the grid, you know, my strategy was – I wanted a top three pick, and the reason being is it seemed like my main event teams I was picking towards the middle. Uh, you know, I got bored, you know, a couple months, you know, prior to the kickoff, so I entered a slow draft, and of course, you know, I pulled the 12 spot there. So I'd mentioned I kind of like some diversity in my team, so picking middle in the main event, picking you know 12 in the slow draft, I wanted a, a top three pick. So of course, going into it. You know, I'm targeting David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell, just like everyone else, but I just didn't want to go crazy with it. Um, I wasn't sold on either one. I, I kind of preferred Bell over David Johnson. 
But um, as, as, as you get into the bidding process, I mean, it was just, like I said, it was like any other year. I mean, the, uh, the number one pick, of course, you know, it went for the full 2000. I, th I think it actually went for a little bit more than 2000. But I think what kind of threw it off was the number one pick was Le'Veon yeah, Bell. Yeah, Bell went first. I remember that. That yeah, and, we, you know, we were all set for like, okay, well, here comes David Johnson, and then Bell goes first. And then we're like, well, here comes another huge round of bidding for for the second uh, spot. Exactly, you know, and it, and it's like Bell goes first. And personally, I thought it was a good pick, you know. But then that just opens up the bidding for the second pick, you know. So, like you had said, it's like, okay, you know, where do we start the bidding for for the second pick? Because everybody knew it was David Johnson. So, and with that being said, the second pick actually went for a couple hundred dollars more than the first pick, you know. So, um, it, it's really interesting to kind of see how that unfolds. Um, I ended up falling to the third pick which I was, I was really happy with uh, getting uh, Antonio Brown, who I think is probably the number one fantasy football receiver. So um, I, was, I was very content falling to number three and landing Antonio Brown, although I did bid on the first and second. So uh, I was bidding max dollars on those two, and I just, I just, I just let them go, you know, and I just fell down to uh, Antonio Brown. Yeah, and Brown's been paying off uh, for you for sure this year, uh, more often than not, and certainly a, a guy that has been a model of uh, consistency there. That that off the grid thing that, that's always so entertaining uh, to watch. Uh, you know, the the first two rounds, the the bidding go on uh, live every year. Uh, let's talk about the bye weeks here, John. I, I feel like a, a broken record because it's all I've been talking. Well, it's not all I've been talking about, but I've been bringing it up over the last week. I brought it up on a lot of shows this week. Uh, it, there, it's going to be uh, an issue for a lot of teams. Six teams on by here in week eight, another six teams on by in week nine. I'm curious how far in advance you're looking when you're trying to make sure you can not only roll out a competitive lineup, but a strong lineup in your leagues when so many players are off. Are you looking a week in advance, two weeks in advance, or are you just trying to, you know, plug the holes in, in the wall and to, you know, make sure that the, the dam doesn't burst right, you know, before the week starts on Wednesday and Friday for the for the waiver periods in the FFPC. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you, Eric, the bye weeks, they, they start for me prior to the draft. You know, so I kind of start, you know, um, eyeballing some players I'm, I'm looking at in, in any particular round. I start looking at the different buys um, as you know, when I'm sitting there at the, at the draft and I'm drafting as I draft a player, I kind of scribble down his bye week, you know, that way. You know, as we're coming into the next round, if, if I've got two people that, you know, I kind of favor the same, you know, but if there's a conflict on the on the bye week, then, of course, you know, I'm going to take the guy that's that's not going to, you know, hamper me that one week in particular. So, um, you know, of the teams that I've got going this year, the, the bye weeks really haven't hurt me that much. Um, I do have to make, a you know, a couple of adjustments in, in each league. Um, one league in particular, I'm, I'm struggling with it you know, um, with the bye weeks. And I actually started last week on the waiver wire, starting to plug some positions. I, I picked up some players I, I typically wouldn't have just because, you know, I had so many people out this week. So, um, you know, it, you know, looking at the bye weeks, you know, some people, they, they look at it different than others. Uh, a lot of people, you know, I've heard they don't care about the bye weeks. They'd rather go ahead and take the L and, and so forth. But from my perspective, even with a full squad, it's hard enough to, to get the win every week plus four points. So um, I don't like giving up anything if I don't have to. Yeah, I, I and I you know I've read, I can't remember where I read this. It was several years ago where, um, 
there was some sort of statistical analysis that went back like 15, 20 years or whenever the bye weeks really started. Um, and, and, um, and again, I, I'm speaking in abstract here in abstracts because I, I don't really know the, the exact way that this went, but basically the teams that tried to spread out their bye weeks throughout their roster did slightly worse than the team that, you know, would try to load up on one week where everybody was on bye. Um, but I mean, it was so you're talking about a ton of data and, and to have it that close, it, it's so, impo- I mean, it's really impossible to try to, you know, make sure that you line up uh, all your buys with, with, uh, you know, injuries and everything else that happens. But I'm with you, man. I scratch and claw every single week, fight for every point you get because you never know when a point or even a 10th of a point is going to come into play that will, uh, that will help you in uh, to the playoffs. That's one of the things. I've definitely learned uh, over the years. I'm curious, John, how long was the learning curve for you when you, uh, you know, went from your home leagues, your office leagues, your basement leagues, your, your family and friends leagues, when you made the jump to start playing high stakes fantasy football to be successful there and really, you know, make the adjustment for that level of competition. For, for, for me, the learning curve wasn't that bad, Eric. Um, you know, the, the, the home leagues that, that I played in, they were both based out of Dallas. I mean, we had a great time playing them. Uh, regardless of where we lived, everybody would travel into Dallas for, you know, that draft weekend, and we just had a blast. But I, I think why the um, learning curve wasn't that, that difficult was, you know, we were playing a PPR format, and, um, and the structure was, was very similar with the exception of the, the tight end you know, the 1.5 per tight end. So um, with that being said, I've always been partial to running backs. So um, even in my home leagues, you know, I, I would target the running back or I would target the, the player that got the touches, you know. So um, I've kind of carried that into into playing high stakes. So from my perspective, it, it really wasn't that difficult. I think that's kind of underrated, you know. The, the whole KISS method, the keep it simple, stupid, it's just like, when you're when you're trying to put together dominant teams, try to acquire the players that touch the ball the most. I mean, the more involved in the offense uh, they that they can get, uh, the better off that that you're going to be because they're going to have more opportunities to do something with it. And obviously, if they're getting the ball a lot, uh, you know that they're pretty good at uh, accumulating fantasy points. So that's that's certainly an underrated method. It's something that I think the, over the last couple of years I really lost sight of. And the, the, this past year, I, I really. Um, made a concerted effort in my drafts to, to make sure I did that. And it's, it's well, so far, I mean, we're, we're seven weeks in. So far, it's been, it's been doing pretty good. We will see if it remains uh, that way. John, you've been incredibly uh, gracious with your time with us uh, this week on the high-stakes lowdown. Before I let you go, I do want to uh, ask you one final question. A player that, has, uh, that was drafted relatively high uh, or maybe a guy that, that came on early in the season – that has fallen on tough times, that has really not been produced, that you are ready to say sayonara to off of your rosters. Uh, And then conversely, a guy uh, that you, since this will be coming out Thursday morning, a guy that you targeted off the waiver wire uh, this week in the FFPC. Uh, I'll tell you, Eric, probably the the one player that, you know, I'm I'm ready to kind of move on from, but I can't, you know, just because of the strategy and the position would be Ty Montgomery. So, you know, he, he started out, you know, pretty hot. He was getting a, a lot of the, um, you know, a lot of the, the share, you know, in the, in the play. Uh, I think at one point, you know, he was, you know, in on 90 plus percent of, of all the offensive snaps. Yeah, absolutely. He was sure. You know, but of, of course, you know, he had the setback with the ribs. 
Um, you know, that, that could be a two to four to five week process. Um, of course, the emergence of, of Jones there. Um, of course, after, you know, watching that game last weekend, you kind of commented on, on, on it earlier. Um, you know, it's just I, I don't know where he fits into that offense. And, of course, with Rodgers going down, that makes it even worse. So um, I've got a lot of concern with Ty Montgomery uh, going forward. Uh, got him on one of my teams here. I was kind of counting on him. So I, I hope they can, you know, kind of turn the corner here when they get out of their bye week. But I don't have a lot of confidence right now. And I'll say this about Montgomery, too. We saw this week that Mike McCarthy came out and said, look, Ty Montgomery is still a big part of this offense. Well, he really wasn't a big part of the offense, you know, in the Saints game. So it's one thing to say it. We, we have to actually see it. And Ron Zook, who is the special teams coach for the Packers, was asked uh, in interviews this week or at, at a press conference about Ty Montgomery returning to playing more special teams uh, because of how successful he was there as a rookie, as a, as a returner. And, you know, obviously he had the block kick uh, his rookie year as well. Uh, and Ron Zook said, it's one of the first things I'm going to talk about uh, to, to Coach McCarthy in our meetings this week. So I think there's, if, if Zook is excited about getting Montgomery back on special teams, I, I, I'm with you in questioning, uh, you know, what, how valuable he's going to be in lineups going forward. What about a player that uh, you targeted on the waiver, uh, waiver wire this week, John? I'll tell you, Eric, just, you know, just looking at, at the teams that I've got, you know, the, the waiver wire to me, the, I'm, I'm not seeing a lot of value this week. Okay, so, um, of course, you know, what I'm looking for, you know, in one particular league, you know, like I'd mentioned, I started last week trying to fill some some holes with the bye weeks, you know. So, for the most part, I did that with that with that one league. My other leagues, I don't have the, the bye week problems, you know, that, that I do with that one particular league. So, I'm kind of targeting – you know, players, you know, that, that could potentially do something later. Okay. So, you know, somebody, you know, that might be a good bench play in the event, you know, they're called upon. So what, what I'm, what I'm kind of surprised in seeing is some, there's Andre Ellington's out there, you know, in several leagues. So, you know, what was it? Uh, he, he didn't play last week. Correct. You know, uh, the week before AP had that big day. So I think the game flow kind of set up for, him not to be really used that much. But with Carson Palmer going down, you know, I expect them to play from behind a lot. Uh, you know, prior to um, AP, you know, making the move to Arizona, you know, Andre Ellington was getting double-digit targets every week. So um, I'm not saying he's a slam-dunk play, but it's kind of interesting to see him out there available. Um, you know, I'm, I'm seeing a little bit of him. Uh, Char- Sharkandrick West is another running back I'm kind of surprised to see out there. Not going to say he's going to put up great numbers, but you know he could be a good bye week play. And of course, you know with uh, Marshawn Lynch, you know being suspended this week, um, we, we've got both um, Jalen Richard and, and DeAndre Washington available in Oakland. So that's what I'm kind of seeing out there. Um, you know, I don't know if the two Oakland running backs will be will be a good waiver wire long term, providing Lynch comes back because they really haven't done anything all year. But I, I'm kind of surprised to see Ellington and both West out there. You know, I, I'm with you on West because we, we've seen this this offense that Andy Reid runs in Kansas City. It, it features one running back, and West has already shown that, that he can do it, maybe not for an entire season, but certainly for a multi-game stretch if Kareem Hunt were to go down, uh, knock on wood, 
then West <laughs> would be, you know, ready to go. I, I, and I, I think he's a definitely a valuable guy to, to have on your team. I'll be curious to see on Thursday morning what these bids come up at for Jalen Richard and Dwayne Washington, given that we have nearly 20% of the NFL on by this week. I think they make for, for pretty good flex plays for people who are, you know, really up against it. And you, you don't know this yet, but at the, at the top of the episode, we heard uh, Nelson Sousa also talk about Andre Ellington as well and, and how he thinks he's going to be uh, benefiting from this Palmer injury. And, you know, whether it's Gabbard or Stanton or whoever is going to be the starting quarterback there, uh, he likes Ellington as well. Uh, I was surprised that so many people cut Ellington uh, the week after he, you know, put up that zero. I, I thought that uh, given what he had done already this season, he deserved more of a longer look. Uh, but now it'll be three consecutive weeks. You know, he puts up the zero. He was inactive because of the injury last week, and now they're on by. So it's tough to keep a guy like that around. If you did keep him around, I think it's going to pay dividends. I'm with you on that as well. John, it was such a pleasure talking with you this week on the uh, High Stakes Lowdown. You are right in the thick of it, not only in the Off the Grid League, but as well as the FFPC main event. You know, kind of an interesting story how you got uh, that team that's that's in that top 100. You never know what can happen. It's certainly positioned to make a deep run. I wish you nothing but the best there. Hopefully the balls bounce your way. And uh, good luck in Week 8, man. Enjoy it. Hey, thank you, Eric. Thank you for listening to the High Stakes Lowdown, a Rotoviz podcast brought to you by the Fantasy Football Players Championship. And thanks to Grapes for our theme music. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the Rotoviz Radio feed. It helps us find new listeners. Contact us via email rotovizradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think. And follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the show by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the NFL podcast homepage rotoviz.com slash podcast. They call you the grill master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment. To get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz summer event, like the 2019 C-Class sedan and GLC SUV. The perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus, you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM All Access included. The Mercedes-Benz summer event, now serving limited time offers on a select lineup of vehicles. Offers end September 3rd. Mercedes-Benz, the best or nothing. You shouldn't go to Barnes & Noble and buy 10,000 books just so you can build a book fortress and yell out, I am your book leader. You shouldn't buy 147 copies of War and Peace, stuff them inside turkeys, and serve them at Thanksgiving as Terbukins. And you definitely shouldn't buy up all the copies of Dork Diaries, causing the neighborhood kids to stage a protest in your front yard. But you could. Because at the Barnes & Noble Book Hall, you can get over a 1,000 titles for 50% off. Stock up at your local Barnes & Noble. Terbukins are fictitious and should not be cooked at home. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. 
With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.